Hello, and welcome to the LMA podcast featuring thought-provoking conversations with legal marketing and business experts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, you are listening to the Strategies Live podcast, where we look at subject matters and issues affecting legal marketers and the work that we do. My name is Tara Davis, and I'm a client DEI manager at Norton Rose Fulbright and the Legal Marketing Association DEI Shared Interest Group co-chair. In my role, I support both the firm and its clients in leveraging our diversity-focused initiatives, partnerships, and collaborations. I am joined by Leah Dorsey, the Chief DEI Officer at Ogletree Dinkins and immediate past president of the Association of Law Firm Diversity Professionals. In her role, Leah is responsible for the development and execution of the firm's global DEI strategy. A warm welcome to those of you who are tuning in to the Strategies Live for the first time. This podcast series coincides with the subject matter that's featured on Strategies and Voices, LMA's official online publication. You can visit the site at the Strategies and Voices website, strategiesandvoices.org. Content on Strategies and Voices has recently been focusing on client service. You are joining us for the 99th episode. There are 99 problems, but diversity ain't one. In today's conversation, we will talk about what clients truly care about and expect of law firms in our DEI efforts. We will dive into where we are today and what's to come, as well as how business development can play an integral role in their firm's DEI strategy. Leah, thanks for joining. Where are we today? (laughs) Thank you so much, Tara, for having me. I'm so honored to be here today. Um, really excited about this conversation. So um, I love the fact that you've asked me, where are we today? Because that is one of the questions that I am often asked, especially with the backdrop of 2020, which I think is a primary driver for even having a lot of these conversations around DE&I. Um, I think it's safe to assume that and safe to say that 2020 was a very pivotal year for a lot of different reasons. It brought us the global pandemic, you know, the killing of George Floyd and other innocent black people. There was a brighter spotlight on racial injustice and systemic inequities. Um, And we had a lot more people sharing um, their struggles with mental health and isolation. And I think because of all of those issues, firms and companies really kind of had to change the way that they were doing things to address what was happening, not only in the world, but within their corporate walls. And they had to really figure out like how to meet some of these new needs. And so uh, we, we saw a lot of uh, companies stand up things in a lot of different ways. So we saw an uptick um, in, you know, public statements of support. You know, we saw lots of donations to anti-racist organizations. Uh, you know, however, I think there's still a gap between what organizations say and what they do. So we need to find a better way to move from intent to action. Um, we, we saw, you know, formalizing DEI as a strategic business imperative. Um, DEI is now part of the firm wide strategic plans, which um, is definitely key because it signals to your stakeholders that this is not just something to, nice to do, but it is definitely a business imperative. We saw a lot more resources dedicated to DEI, people positions, money, greater level of transparency, greater use of data, more focus on the equity part of my title, if you will. So how do we rebuild the systems and processes so that they won't allow bias to adversely impact the development, progression, and success of others? Um, we saw a lot more you know, focus on our culture. I, I say this all the time, culture is our differentiator. It's the reason, 
why people stay or go. Um, so if you get your culture right, other things will kind of fall into place. Particularly, particularly with the younger generations, they, they expect to work differently now and they're pushing on us to ask, what are we doing as it relates to DEI? So we, we have to be able to respond adequately to some of those inquiries. And then I'll just kind of close there. You know, I touched on this earlier. There's more of a focus on mental health and well-being. So there are a lot more benefits and resources are being stood up and dedicated to well-being. We're seeing new affinity groups and ERGs on mental health. And I'll, I'll close on this one because I think it's really important. And I, I like to call it the great voice. Um, employees are really using their voices now in a very, very different way. They're demanding more transparency, more accountability. They're more empowered to make demands, if you will, that and, and ask for change that they wouldn't have before, right? It's not enough anymore to just give this lip service, but that also has led to an opportunity to have increased dialogue on topics that we didn't dare touch a few years ago. Now it's almost commonplace to have a town hall that's focused on anti-racism and discrimination, and, and you can attend those and speak and not fear, backlash, or being seen as weak. So there's a lot of things that have been done. I think a whole different podcast can talk about how much of this has been successful. But the one thing that I am encouraged about, particularly in my role, is seeing companies and seeing firms embrace this new normal, if you will, and stand up resources to address what's happening in the world today, because we need a new approach, because these are new problems. It seems like there is a great hope and a bright light shining on these efforts and these initiatives. And clients are inserting their voices and their power into these discussions around resources and institutionalizing DEI efforts and their expectations of us as a whole. And I'm, I'm wondering, from my vantage point, what I've noticed, especially after George Floyd's murder, was an uptick in clients requesting information from us. So at one point, we were just responding to Mansfield, our firms were participating, or in the ABA model diversity survey, and now we're seeing where there's an increasing number of clients who are using third parties to send out their own requests for information. And it's not just quantitative data anymore, it's qualitative data as well that they're looking at. Have you seen any, any differences in the types of questions that clients have been asking from 2020 on to today, and especially if that client might be a global client? Yeah, that, that is a great question. And I, I agree. We too have seen an uptick in the number of RFPs, and I think from my world, that also includes the surveys, the diversity surveys that we get from our clients, the timekeeper requests that we get from our clients, all trying to figure out who's working on our matters. Um, so we definitely have seen an uptick, even from 2021 to 2022, so not even just from 2020. So definitely, I agree with you on that point. I also agree that the questions are different. Um, again, it's not just the metrics, as you said, you know, it's explain this program to me, or how are you making a difference uh, specifically? They ask a lot about succession planning. That is a kind of a new-ish question. It's tell us about your succession plan and does it have a lens of DE&I? So that's one thing. They're asking about credit. I'm seeing that that is a new question as well. It's not so much who's just staffed on my matters, but it's who is getting 
this type of credit. So, you know, origination credit, working, billing, you know, and that varies by firm. But those are the types of questions that I'm seeing. And I actually called out um, like about 20 questions that I'm now seeing show up in some of these surveys. And I actually sent it to my board because I said, hey, listen, we need to be able to have solid answers for the for these questions. And if we don't have answers, then we need to build something so we can have a solid answer for these questions. So I definitely uh, agree with you that we're, we're seeing some more substantive types of questions in some of these surveys. And I think um, the difference between, um, I think you asked if I'm seeing the difference between clients who are outside of the U.S. and inside of the U.S., I think there are some differences a little bit, but as all of us know, the definition of DEI is different depending on where you sit outside of the world. But I think a big challenge and a big question, if you will, that I'm seeing is really around the data and how we're collecting it, how it's stored, how it's used. You know, and I think the SRA drives a lot of those requirements, but there's still a big conversation around how do we get this data, how do we store it, and all, all of the things around there. So I definitely see that as well in, in where I sit especially around, there have been an increasing number of clients who are starting to ask questions around equitable policies and practices that we have in place. So just an example, they're asking us about our pay equity policies Mm -hmm. and if they're established and if we're conducting audits around pay equity. And I found this really interesting stat that said, and it was from the Harvard Business Review, it said that in 2023, a fifth of all U.S. workers will be covered under pay transparency laws. And I think this will have a huge impact on inclusive practices and diversity across all industries that will then trickle down into what clients expect us as law firms and DEI practitioners within law firms to be doing. This is just one one area, and I think another one has been and has been for maybe a number of years, but again, where we're really getting pressed more and more on our stats and programs and inclusive practices around those who are LGBTQ plus and those with different abilities or those who are neurodiverse. And and they're not just looking for the data, like you mentioned, Leah, they're looking for the story and they're looking for the progress around it. So it seems like these things are not, they're not going to let up anytime soon. I'm wondering how are you finding that clients and law firms can collaborate on DEI. Yeah, um, so just taking a step back, I just agree, agree, agree. I do not think that this is going to let up anytime soon. I I know that there are people who are like, oh, we're past this moment. And I'm like, what moment are you talking about? Because we're solidly still right in the middle of it. So I just wanted to say that I agree with you. This is definitely something that is not going to let up. Um, And then also, I'll just kind of say, because I am responsible for like a global strategy, um, it is still important to incorporate those local voices, as you just talked about. So when you, you know, use your global lens, it allows you know, the organization to identify a global DNI vision and a strategy, but we still need to allow for the flexibility, you know, for local uh, adaptation, if you will. So we have DEI ambassadors in most of our offices to really help us think about what's the local story that we want to tell in the global book of DEI. So I just wanted to amplify what you said. Those local voices are very important. Uh, but back to the question, the second question that you asked, how clients and uh, law firms can really collaborate. 
our in, I just have to tell you, and I'm sure that our listeners already know this, but our in-house client, council clients really want to work with their outside counsel on DEI. At the end of the day, we are all trying to solve for the same problem, so we're coming together to solve it together. We can advance it at a faster pace if we work together. And it also, DNI is a new way to engage clients and a way to have more meaningful conversations with them. So this is something that I'm super, super excited about, but just some ways that we can kind of work together. You know, we're seeing uh, inside and outside council build joint DEI programs together. We just built a program, you know, with one of our top clients, which really brings our top diverse associates and the client's top diverse associates together um, to learn from the other perspectives. So there's some cross-mentoring going on. It gives our lawyers the opportunity to meet more of the client's lawyers and to hear how these things work from the client's perspective. And it is, and I'm seeing a lot of other companies and firms build similar programs together like that. We're also participating in some of the same um, industry initiatives, and I'll just give you one. So LCLD, Leadership Council on Legal Diversity, and their 1L Scholars Program is a really good opportunity to help your organization kind of build this pipeline for diverse talent. But for the participating clients and participating firms, there's an opportunity to have a diverse summer associate kind of split time between the firm and a client. So again, that gives that associate both perspectives of in-house and outside um, council experience. We can second some of our diverse associates with a client. That's another way to kind of establish and strengthen their relationships with some of our clients. Uh, some firms have DEI practice groups. Uh, Ogletree is one of those firms. And the practice group really assists clients in the creation and the implementation and management of DEI programs. And so we also give legal and, and, and advice on um, certain issues regarding DEI can sometimes defend employers when some of our DEI practices are challenged. I can go on and on, uh, you know, so we can present CLE programs for in-house legal departments and they love that, particularly if, if, if it's DEI and they can get credit in those other states. Um, so yeah, there are so many different things, but these are the conversations in my role. These are the conversations that I'm having with clients. It's twofold. One, it's the data, it's the surveys, which I know we're going to talk about in a bit. But then the other is how can we partner together on this? How can we solve this problem together? So it's those two things that I am talking about with our clients on a very, very regular basis clients really want to know what can they be doing better? How can they help our efforts? And these are really important conversations that all of us need to have. I love that you brought up these external organizations that we can partner with. The clients are already partnering with in some form or fashion, and we can collectively come in on that. And I love this, how things are really moving in this industry in a more collaborative manner, especially when it comes to DEI. I mean, for one thing, DEI is something that is a universal investment. So it's something that we can all be a part of and not something that just one person has to do on their own. So coming in from a team perspective, and that's something that I think is very familiar to those who are in marketing and business development. So if you take that perspective and you apply it to 
DEI best practices and when it comes to meeting clients' expectations or targets or goals and aligning those, it really works out for everyone's benefit. And I have also heard that, especially on some of the client meetings that we've had recently around like, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. How can I help you meet your goals? How can I help you meet your targets? And coming prepared with the answer to those questions, no matter who's in the meeting, even if your diversity director or chief or chair is in that meeting already, but everyone being prepared to be able to come in with different responses and perspectives is beneficial to the client. It really demonstrates that not only do we care about this, but we're willing to do the work that helps us move everything forward. Absolutely. And just to kind of add to that, just very quickly, um, what I agree with you, this is everybody's responsibility. I say that all the time. Everybody has a role and a responsibility to advance DNI. Now, that role and the responsibility looks different depending on where you sit within the organization. But this is not solely my job. It's not the job of people who look like me. Um, it is not the job of every other historically excluded person within the organization. We all have to push on this. And I love the conversations with clients when, again, to your point, it's how can we help? What can we do? How can I mean, And a client just asked me this a couple of weeks ago. They were like, is there anybody within your firm that I can have a conversation with to help remove a roadblock for either you and what you're trying to accomplish, Leah, in your role or for a diverse lawyer of any you know kind that um, is just kind of stuck and and you know stuck to get those opportunities and I'm sorry I'm saying it again who's just stuck either you know because they're not getting the opportunities that they need or they're not developing so on and so forth and I love when clients are bold enough and and um, and helpful enough and I've always said our clients can be some of our best allies here so I I love when they say hey what can I do for you because oftentimes they're always asking us to do something for them so I love to kind of flip that question I I think that that is a great client that asked that type of question and shows again that investment in these efforts speaking of investing in these efforts there are some clients who And I think this is something that really concerns business developers as they're looking to bring in additional work into the firm or looking to bring in um, or expand work with an existing client or a prospective client. The diversity questions that they can't answer or they're afraid to answer. And my response is always be as transparent as possible, but are clients holding us accountable on those and is it are we holding them accountable as well on the questions that they're asking us around diversity and whether or not they are really you know ensuring that their teams are as diverse as possible and here's a second part to this question do clients play a role in who gets the work <laughs> I, I, I believe that they do in this and this might be a question where it's like oh Sure, but when from our vantage point, when we are looking at the staffing of the matters and we're then sharing that back with the client as like as they're checking in to see if their teams are really, truly diverse, what role are they playing and, and are they really holding us accountable? 
Yeah, you've, gosh, you've asked so many questions there. So let me see if I can uh, unpack it. I, I will say um, as far as accountability, which is, which is a big word, uh, I don't know if our clients are actually holding us accountable. I think some people would say on the one side that it is our clients who are behind the incremental movement and change that we've seen because they're trying to hold their law firms accountable. Um, but then the, the other set of people will say our clients aren't doing enough and that they need to hold their firms to account on some of these metrics and these goals. But I'll, I'll point to um, the Institute for Inclusion in the Legal Profession recently released a report a few months ago. I think it was called Diverse Outside Counsel, Who's Getting the Business. And I loved that report because they actually surveyed corporate clients to determine like how much business was being directed to diverse lawyers, both inside law firms and diverse owned firms as well. And one of the things that stuck out to me is that about, I'm trying to remember the stat, about three quarters of the respondents said that they're tracking the diversity of the outside counsel, but 40% of them admitted that they don't follow up with the outside counsel to discuss the data. So if you look at what I do and what people on my team do, when we get all of these surveys, it's really kind of frustrating to hear that the clients really don't do anything with the data, which is why I suggest being a little bit more proactive with the clients to say, hey, we've kind of filled this out. Um, let's have a conversation about it. Um, and so another stat that jumped out at me, I think it said like of only, gosh, it was less than 20% of the respondents actually set diversity goals and targets for their outside counsel law firms, which is a woefully no, low number. And if you think about the conversation we were having about three, four years ago with all these clients coming out with their diversity mandates for outside counsel, the carrot stick approach, and you know, I need at least 30% of you know, diverse lawyers working on my matters. And I think that's good and well, and that it, get, it got us into the habit of thinking about diversity. But what about those times when we don't have the diversity to staff? How are the clients reacting to that? Are they just saying, hey, it's okay, and you know, next time, or are they really going to hold our feet to the fire? So that's why some people are like, I think our clients need to do a little bit more with keeping us honest, um, because it's easy for us to just continue to go back to the people that we've always used. But I also think that there is another layer to this, and it's not just staffing for diversity's sake, because we get it. You know, the RFPs, the surveys, the clients, everybody is saying, hey, I want to see diversity on my pitch teams, on my working client matter teams. We get it. Um, but I think the second step of that is making sure, and this is where the clients can play a really good role, it's making sure that we're just not staffing, but it's also making sure that those diverse lawyers are getting meaningful and sustained work and moving beyond the optics. And so we need to be able to work with our clients to position our diverse lawyers in such a way that they gain that high, high visibility, high value work. And we can kind of put them in a position to potentially lead the client relationship one day. So that goes back to the succession planning that I talked about uh, before. So for right now, I think there's a lot of talk. Um, and I'm sure there are some firms who are being fired and they're being fired quietly. But from where I sit, I'm really not seeing this big movement um, in recent years where law firms are getting fired or penalized in major ways because they're not meeting diversity mandates that the clients are putting forth. And I'll close on this. I'm, all, I'm known for saying that DE&I is not black and white, it's green. And that once you start talking about how much more money people can make or how much money they stand to lose, that's really when people start listening. So I am a fan of actually tying a lot of these efforts to either compensation or to bonuses, <laughs> because that's when people will give it 
the level of focus and attention that it, it deserves. You bring up a very interesting point about it's green because what I have seen has been the reward system being used more and more. And it's being quietly used where clients are rewarding their teams by providing those bonuses or um, being okay with the rate increases and providing additional work as a result of seeing more diverse teams. What I haven't seen is exactly what you said, Leah, the targets that are being set forth and then them holding firms accountable for meeting those specific targets that they might have in mind. I've also noticed where clients are starting to, some clients, let me say that, are are starting to become a bit more savvy and using their e-billing portals as a way (laughs) to track diversity within their matters and the staffing of their matters. And I truly believe that eventually they will get to a place where they quietly remove work uh, if they start to notice that the number and percentage of hours billed to those who are diverse under their definition of diversity, because that's a whole other conversation in and of itself, will essentially, you know, lead us to them saying, okay, this is not meaningful. They're not getting the meaningful work that they should be getting. So I I think it all goes back to what you said, quality and green are the drivers. (laughs) Absolutely. And, And I'll also add that you've just opened Pandora's box with that one. So yes, we are getting a lot of these, what we call timekeeper requests from clients. And they are saying specific, like, tell me the specific diversity of this person. We do not want it in the aggregate. We want to know specifically how Leah Dorsey identifies as an attorney working on my matter. And that raises all types of issues. And I'm sure that, you know, our OGC uh, is involved in these conversations because again, we're trying to find that balance between we don't want to disclose information, particularly if we don't have consent to do so. But then what do you do when a client Um, is saying that if you don't give me that information on that specific timekeeper, then I'm not going to pay the bill or they're not going to get credit for the work. Now, are the firms willing to lose this revenue, this potential money because they don't disclose the diversity? So that is a tightrope that many of our firms walk every single day. Um, And you could be right. It could be that they're just like, hey, If you don't provide this data, that person doesn't get to work on this matter. And maybe they will be hopefully not quietly removed. I hope that they would have a conversation with us about it. But I could see it going in that way because I'm seeing an increase in requests from clients who are asking for that specific type of individually identifiable information that law firms typically are not comfortable providing. For sure. And I'm so glad you mentioned that report too because it's a great one to review for anyone who's listening. Also sharing that with your management committee as well. So they can be aware of what our clients are or are not doing in this area and how it might be either making it much more difficult for your diversity departments to do the work that's necessary Mm -hmm. or where there's opportunity. There's there's opportunity where there are... um, where there are, are, are gaps. So I think that you can use those reports and use these resources 
as a vehicle for moving everything forward, as I've mentioned before. And I, I know that there are many listeners who are wondering, what can I do to help? I'm in a BD role. I'm in a marketing role. I might be in a communications role. How do I also assist in meeting our clients' expectations? And how can I support my diversity practitioners who are working in this space day in and day out? Yeah, collaboration is key. I tell many people, I do not do this job alone and any success you see is a success I share with somebody else at the firm. So I have a really good working relationship with our client services department, which essentially includes marketing and BD. And they help with a lot of different DE&I things. So one thing they do is diverse pitch teams. When you all are putting together the materials for the RFPs, I know you may not have final say on those pitch teams, but you can definitely drive the conversation, you know, with the relationship partners, shareholders to make sure that they're considering diverse people. And hey, sometimes some uh, business developers have said that they would just proactively go ahead and put the bio of the diverse person in the materials um, and just kind of get the conversation started that way. So that's really one of the easiest things that someone on the BD team can do. Now, again, I know you may not have final, final say, but getting that, you know, relationship partner, shareholder to think about diversity is great. On the back end of that same process, you know, you can track the uh, win rates for the RFPs and those RFPs that feature diverse teams. So that's a good data point. And back at the top, when I said data is very important, we use data a lot more to tell the stories that people think that we just make up because data doesn't lie. Um, so I think that that is a good data point on the back end to say, hey, of the 100 RFPs, which seems very low, but the 100 RFPs that we did this year, you know, we won 75% of them and of the 75%, you know, 60% of them featured a diverse team. That is a really good diversity statistic. So that is something else that the BD teams can do is track those win rates. Um, I collaborate with them on collateral all the time. So not just like the big DEI annual report type of collateral, but, you know, like the custom pieces, you know, recruiting pieces, the, the client pieces. We have a piece that's specifically on how can we work with our clients on DEI. So the marketing team is really good with that. They help with some of the DEI surveys, you know, that we get a lot of. So they will help with some of those surveys. And I know some firms, um, the BD department actually, they do the DEI surveys. Um, and, and I think that that is a really, really interesting model. And I think the last thing, communication is really key. Um, and so our comms team is great and they work with us a lot to make, to capture those stories that we talk about. So we have a, a firm wide newsletter. Um, that goes out every week. And I have a specific, I don't, I, we have a specific se section in that newsletter that's data, dedicated to diversity. Um, and so we make sure that every week we are telling some diversity story. And so our comms team is really good about working with us on the story, or sometimes they'll come up with the story just for my review. So those are just a few ways that, you know, the marketing and BD teams can collaborate with my kind of team. Because again, we cannot do this alone and we shouldn't do it in a silo. But those are just some of the ways. And I think you mentioned Mansfield earlier. Our uh, BD team uh, is really involved in the, in the Mansfield process um, as well. And so they feel like they are invested in the firm's success because they play a role in that process. So those are just some of the things off the top of my head that I can think about. 
Those are all great things, Leah. I think anyone listening will appreciate it and, and appreciate the practical application of how you can collaborate. Like I said, collaboration isn't foreign to us, when it, but when it comes to DEI, it can seem a bit intimidating because you don't wanna say or do the wrong thing. I remember when I was brought into my firm, my role was 100% in business development, working directly with the client team. And that shifted to a diversity department, which we just started back in early November. And so now I'm more so liaising with our business development team, but having that general knowledge of all the deadlines and pressure that the business development team has to face have really has helped me in this role. But another thing I think I would really encourage everyone to do would be to schedule, whether it's a quarterly or monthly meeting with your diversity team, if, if that's just one person or several people, or it's your diversity committee where you might sit in on a meeting, ask to just sit in on you know their monthly meeting or whatever it might be, just gathering as much information as possible, especially because when our attorneys are pitching to these clients or meeting with these clients, diversity is more than often going to come up in the conversation. Mm -hmm. So if you are able to really coach them and direct them on here's what's going on at the firm from a diversity perspective, you add more value to, to, to the role and what it is that you're bringing to the firm and its clients. And I think on another note, another great way to collaborate with your DEI team is to consider some programming that might have a diversity angle to it or component to it. And what I mean by that is you might consider in a networking event that you are hosting, hosting it just for diverse attorneys only. So that way they can get in front of clients, the clients can get introduced to them directly and they can build their book of business that way. You can also consider, again, Leah mentioned this before, but the CLE trainings where you have a diversity component to it, clients love those and are more often than not seeking that type of training that they don't get from their corporations, especially when it has a legal component to it. And finally, I think another great way to collaborate, especially when you are looking at you know, the programming angle and approach might also be to consider inviting a group of diverse panelists to come and present on what is happening now to really prep your partners for what they need to know and what's to come. And in doing that, consider using as well diverse, diverse vendors, especially if you're giving anything out um, or you're making certain accommodations, looking at how you can weave in diversity into every single thing that you are doing, even if it doesn't necessarily seem like something that is diversity related from your vantage point. It's the details that make a huge difference and being able to share the story later on of how you walk the walk in your diversity walk within your own firm. Absolutely. And if I can just pick up on that last point, um, that, that is such a good one to make. So, you know, a lot of firms are setting up their supplier diversity programs and we utilize diverse vendors as much as we can to buy our swag and 
you know, to help us, you know, uh, you know, uh, if we need to outsource production of something. Um, and again, I mean, it amplifies the diverse business, but then it also helps us with our diversity supplier program. So that is definitely a good, good thing to do. And I wanted to just go back if you know, if, and just kind of also say, um, I agree with if you're doing an internal event, invite your diverse clients. I mean, I think you touched on that as well, too. Like our, I mean, it gives us inside the stakeholders the opportunity to meet clients hear from clients, um, but we can tap into their diverse talent in the same way as well. So when we have programs, we'll invite our diverse clients to actually participate in the programs. And just a really, I don't know if it's a fun fact, I don't know how many uh, listeners know this about me, but um, I actually started out on the BD side before I transitioned to DE&I. And some people, they asked me a lot like how I made that, that transition. And I would say at the time it was relatively easy because um, you know, there wasn't that much of a focus on DEI in the way that it is now. So they really wanted and needed somebody to kind of come in and help the firm start thinking strategically about DEI. But it's really all of the, um, you know, the, the practices and everything that I learned being a BD professional really helped me doing the DEI stuff. So it's juggling, it's those timelines, it's understanding the clients, it's already working with clients. And that really helped me be successful in this role. And that's why I'm very comfortable having those conversations with our clients. So for anyone who's listening, I'm not trying to poach, but if anyone is listening and you do have questions about how to transition, I'd be more than happy to um, have a conversation because I think I am a good success story of someone who transition from one side to the other. Um, and again, we still always collaborate um, together. So I just wanted to kind of mention that. Transferable superpowers, Leah. That's what you bring. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you all could see us. We're doing superpower poses right now. <laughs> Superhero <laughs> poses, I'll say. So I, I really want to thank you for joining us today as we discussed what clients are considering and expecting in law firm diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. Please be sure to read the articles featured this month on Strategies and Voices at strategiesandvoices.org. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the LMA podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And rate and review our episodes. Thank you for joining us. Until next time. That concludes another installment of the LMA podcast. To discover all that LMA has to offer, visit legalmarketing.org. For links to content featured in this episode, please check out the show notes. If you like the podcast and want to help others find us, we hope you'll take the time to subscribe to it and rate us on iTunes. Thank you and have a great day.